All right, everybody, we have a great guest today. My good friend, Mike Henry, if you're out there listening, thank you. Uh, Deb Brown, Mayor. Deb, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. It is great to have you here. And uh, as you're listening, please, if you all could do me one favor. My goodness, I think we're at episode 370 now. Take this episode and just share it with a friend. Go into your podcast app. Just hit subscribe. So if you guys could give us a rating, a review, but most importantly, if you could just share it with a friend, encourage them to hit subscribe. We're just trying to have more people equipped with kingdom principles, especially as we're stepping into a time such as this. Now, I was really excited to bring Deb on because here's what we're going to be talking about today. Everybody's favorite topic is sales. Now, Trust me, this should be your favorite topic because every single person out there, whether you are a coach or you have a product, you have a service, you're in a nonprofit and you're in business development and you're trying to connect with a donor, I got to tell you, sales is absolutely critical to what we do. You know, the interesting thing is too, is when you say, talk to somebody, and we can get into this, Deb, and you're like, hey, what do you think of sales? Well, people always go like the used car dealer. Well, well okay, right. I get that, right? That's, I think it's what we like to say because we don't want to just pick up the phone and start a conversation with somebody. It's a little bit maybe out of some of our comfort zones. But think about the last time you bought something that you really needed, right? I am launching my book soon. I've never launched a book before. I interviewed people that have successfully managed a book launch process and I had to hire somebody. So were they selling to me? Absolutely. Was I trying to solve a problem that was a big problem that I couldn't do on my own? Absolutely. And when the two came together and I found these amazing two people, Amy and Bryson Davis, they've worked on some book launches for John Maxwell I got introduced to them by Carrie Childers because they're people that I knew, like, and trust over some time. And guess what? It was selling. They had to get to a point where a contract. And I need to sell my coaching, my training, my speaking, and teach my team how to do it. So guess what? Our company can buy groceries. We can give to the kingdom. We can save for retirement. So I think sales is an area of business that is an essential skill it's also misunderstood. Very much so. Very much so. So my friend, Deb, here a little bit, a very accomplished business owner. You're also a sales coach. You're an author. You're a speaker. You're an artist. We're on Zoom, and I'm looking at some of her art. Absolutely beautiful. I need some of those pieces for my, seriously. She is absolutely, and I know Deb because of her heart for Jesus. She's amazing where you're coming from is just so beautiful. Um, You got this professional background. Let's see, uh, testifies as one of your abilities as a relationship catalyst. Uh, And that's somebody who helps people connect in meaningful ways through the art of conversation. Deb is also the owner at Deb Brown Sales. So you guys can also check Deb out at debbrownsales.com. And that's where she really lives out her passions to help small business owners. And that's, uh, we have a lot of people in our audience, Deb, that are small business owners and and you help them succeed through that improved sales performance. And you recently wrote a book called Sell Like Jesus, Seven Characteristics 
of Christ for ethical sales. Okay. And it was also a finalist, which is really cool because I'm applying for these and I know how hard these are, by the way, <laughs> as the American book festival, 2020 book awards. So with that, before we kind of dive into some strategy and tactics, could you share a little bit about kind of your story, your journey leading up to what you're doing now, Deb? Sure. Happy to. So I was raised in the church accepted Christ as my Lord as a teenager. But I also remembered that scripture that basically says you have to give up your life, pick up your cross daily in order to follow Christ. And for a long time, I thought I could do things my way. And it wasn't until I was late 30s and I I discovered that doing things my way was not really working <laughs> in so many aspects of my life. What well, wasn't working, Deb? Relationships weren't working. Mm. Marriages weren't working. Business wasn't working. Pretty much across the board. And I realized at that point, I was the common denominator. Mm. So I needed to change. And it really was at that point that I got serious about my relationship with God. I rededicated myself to him. And part of that whole process was agreeing with him in that he made me good at sales. I had resisted my calling in sales because I felt the way so many small business owners today feel. I've heard it over and over again, John. They love what they do, but they hate having to sell it because their passion about the product or service that they're bringing to the marketplace, but they feel maybe inadequate, not well-equipped, not educated, but even more so, there's an inherent feeling, and I might even go so far as saying teaching from the church community, that sales and money are somehow dirty. So as a Christian... Yeah, what do you think is behind that, Deb? Because I, I agree, because you know what? When I say I hate selling, my question is, okay, why? If you've worked so hard to create something... Do you doubt that it could really add value to somebody? Well, no, right? Is this right. a quality service or product? Absolutely, I've poured my heart into it. Will it create amazing results for somebody who uses it or buys it? Absolutely, yeah. Look at my testimonials, my recommendations on LinkedIn. And that's where the disconnect comes in, which I'm actually curious about. I'd love your thoughts on why there's such a, sometimes a big gap there. Well, you mentioned the used car salesman earlier. Unfortunately, every single one of us has had a bad experience with a salesperson and probably multiple bad experiences. And they range from feeling like you were taken, you paid too much for mm. what you got, you got the wrong solution you felt manipulated and 
you felt used and taken advantage of. And when you went to ask the salesperson to make good on it, they walked away, they couldn't be contacted, so you were stuck. Now, anybody that's had that kind of bad experience with another person is going to file that in the memory memory banks. And the next time you're in a similar situation, a situation that feels like that bad experience, all of those memories are going to come rushing forward because of our fight or flight mechanism that God wired into us. And it's good he did because we have to outrun the saber-toothed tiger or get out of the way of the Mack truck that's coming down the street as mm -hmm. we're crossing. But when it comes to relationships, if we react with fight or flight, we lose. Both parties lose. So that's part of what's going on. We've had a bad experience. It triggers bad memories. Our defenses go up because we don't want to be manipulated into doing something that's not good for us. And we don't trust a salesperson because of those past experiences. Well, what I heard you say there, I think that's, you know, interesting point, right? We've all, you know, I think people are just good people, right? Right. You don't want other people to see you as smarmy, manipulative, right? right? Exactly. And so maybe there's a tendency to almost carry that to extreme because I know how I felt when that's happened to me and it was, and I, it, I was, upset, angry, I felt taken advantage of, which when none of us like that feeling. Right. And then we have this almost this fear that that's how I might come across. Exactly. And I think that that fear, though, in many cases, if we really understood, I think, some of these core principles that you're going to talk about, it's a conversation connecting something of value to something somebody needs. It's not about getting somebody to buy something. Cause let me ask you, let me ask the folks listening. Has anybody ever really got you to buy something? I can't think of anything I've bought on Amazon, in the mall, in business where I didn't go in it and look and say, okay, I have a problem I need to solve. I'm trying to find the best partner in, in this solution or the best product to help me with this. And I'm going to make a choice. And I'll, if you guys go look at your Amazon shopping cart, you've probably bought about 100 things in the last 30 days through Christmas. There's a reason you bought every single one of those. And there's a reason you chose one thing over the other. So anyway, I just think this is so important. So I don't know. Anything makes sense in there, Deb? Yeah. So we all need to solve problems or we have goals that we want to accomplish, or we fear a situation or a problem that we want to prevent. All three of those reasons drive a purchase. And here's the challenge. When we have to purchase something that we haven't purchased before, or that we don't know a whole lot about, we don't know what we don't know. So we're coming into the sales relationship vulnerable and having to trust that the sale, what the salesperson says is true. 
because either we don't have a way to check it out or we don't have the wherewithal to know that we should even be questioning what they're saying. Do you follow me? Yeah. So that vulnerability causes us to put our defensive shields up so that then we as buyers are not fully forthcoming. So the seller ends up at a disadvantage as well, because let's flip the coin here for a second and talk from the salesperson's perspective. Here I am, a good Christian person who wants to help someone else, but I don't want to be pushy. So I'm going to modify my behavior consciously or unconsciously in order to not come across, as you said, smarmy or manipulative in any way. So I stop short of asking the deeper questions that would actually help me help you better. And I stop short of asking for the sale because I don't want to be perceived as pushy. And any time a buyer gives me any kind of resistance, if I'm the kind of person that tends to run instead of fighting, I'm just going to acquiesce and say, well, you think about it, you let me know, you get back to me when. If I'm a fighter by nature, I'm going to come across now defensive and start questioning why perhaps you're asking me what you're asking. And my tone of voice changes whether I like it or not. And now I'm starting to offend my buyer simply because I, as the salesperson, am also in a defensive posture. And John, I'm here to tell you, when we're both on the defensive, we have set up a true lose-lose. Even if the buyer is desperate enough that they have to buy from me for whatever reason, they're still not getting the best possible solution because I, as the seller, really didn't have the information I needed to truly solve their problem and meet their need. So who's going to change this horrible dynamic? And I say, be the salesperson who takes responsibility for shifting the whole communication dynamic. It's possible. I've been doing it for 25 years and I've successfully taught other people how to do it. It's not easy. It's complicated. It takes work, but it can be done. And Jesus is the role model that gives us the foundation for what we need. And let's start with that. What is that, you know, as you were looking at putting together this book and you were going through scripture, what are some of those things that you saw like, oh, that's where Jesus modeled these kind of conversations? So I start with a definition of sales. Sales is the fair exchange of goods or services for an agreed upon compensation. The fair exchange of goods or services for an agreed upon compensation. That compensation may be money, but it doesn't have to be. So if we look at the example of Jesus, early on in writing the book, I was challenged by people who said to me, 
pastors in particular, Jesus didn't sell anything. And I had to ask them the question, what's the price of salvation? What's the cost? It may not be money. John, if I asked you, what would you say is the cost of salvation? Oh, it was his life. It was his life that he gave. What do we, as his followers, have to give? We have to accept that. Yes. And give our life. Mm -hmm. Yes, die to self before we die. Die to self. We have to die to everything self. Self-protection, self-aggrandizement, self-esteem, self-control. You know, even if you look at the book of James, chapter 3, it clearly states in there that we don't even have control over our tongue unless the Spirit of Christ lives in us. And His Spirit is coming forward to help us in our weak flesh abilities. Mm -hmm. Our flesh is not able. It may be willing, but it's not able unless Christ's Spirit joins with our spirit, which is what happens when we say, yes, Lord, I receive you. So then our spirits blend and the process of sanctification is a lifelong process where we continue to yield ourselves to Christ. So in this book, what I'm doing is bringing tactical, practical ways of conversing, speaking, relating to people, others, that are based on putting Christ first. And I cite various biblical examples, stories that most people know, whether they're Bible scholars or not, to help us learn how to do that and to give the justification as to why it works and how it works. Yeah, and I love how you kind of broke this up into these kind of these seven characteristics, right? And the first one that you talk about is identity and purpose, Deb. Yes. And you know what? If I'm showing up to really, let's say, serve people, and this is how I've always approached sales myself, right? It's I'm showing up to ask questions. Yes. Think about this. When you go to a doctor, and if you just walked into a doctor's office and he goes, okay, well, you got a little bit of a fever and a cough, so do this. Hey, we've got a two-for-one special on appendectomies today. Would you like one? Would you like one? But what a doctor does is, right, there's somebody we trust because of their position and their education. Now, think about this. This is the way I look at it as a coach, right? I've been coaching for executives for seven years. Uh I know who is the kind of client that I would do my best work with. I know the kind of situations personally, professionally with their company that I am really suited to do good work in. And my entire goal is to ask questions and questions to not only elicit, I think, new learning, clarify what the situation is, what the outcome they're trying to get to is, what is 
getting that outcome, what that would do for them personally, trying right. to connect things emotionally. Right. And if I really do feel like after asking all these questions, like what is preventing them from getting that outcome today? Yeah. Right. What have you tried in the past? And I'll be the first person to say, you know what, Dan, I, I don't know if I'm the best fit for that. That's not the kind of work right. I do. I don't come in and help an entire sales team, even though I've been in sales in my career for 30 years, but that's not my focus. But hey, guess what? I know somebody awesome for you. Wow, that's different. Or yep. I ask enough questions and I go, hey, Deb, you know what? That's the kind of work that I do. Right. Would you like for me to share a little bit about how I work with clients? Guess that's what? I'm asking you, yep. would you like to hear? You might go, no, I'm, I think I'm good. And right. I'm okay with that. I don't take offense at that. But right, it's about how we're showing up. I'm not showing up to convince you with what I call commission breath, Right. And I got to tell you, when I, when I first started my coaching practice, coming out of my accident, Deb, yep, I hadn't had an income for years. And when I showed up with an agenda to close a deal, have you ever had those conversations and people, maybe you guys can relate to this, right? Because of my agenda and you have this wonderful conversation and the small talk, it's great. And then all of a sudden you're kind of getting into your pitch, and you can just feel everything go sideways. The energy leaves the conversation. It's just a bit awkward. Uh-huh. I had to realize that was me putting my agenda ahead of the agenda of the person that I was talking to. Does that make See, sense? There you go. So the story where Christ says, don't take the seat at the head of the table when you're invited to a wedding don't take the most prominent seat. Take the seat in the back instead. So that is purposefully taking the one down position, elevating the other person to the first position, to ask questions, to understand them, to hear from them, to listen to what they're saying and then respond accordingly. Then we are serving them and that's what Christ came to do. He came to serve. We as salespeople can serve as well and still be successful. And John, I think that's where Christians get hung up because they confuse serving with being nice and the wrong definition of being nice. Nice doesn't mean everybody likes you. You described hearing whether the person is a good fit for what you have to offer. And if they aren't, you'll be the first one to say, it really wouldn't be best to work with me, but I know someone else who I can refer you to. And that's all based on what you've shared with me. But John, you know, people aren't gonna share that stuff unless we as the salesperson are skilled and comfortable with asking and it's asking questions to seek a deeper understanding. It's not asking questions to find out how big do you want it? What color do you want? When do you want it? Those are all important questions, but they come at the end of the encounter. At the beginning of the encounter, you're qualifying for a good fit. 
And if that fit isn't there, like if they don't have a problem that you are equipped to solve, then it doesn't even make sense to talk about what it costs because who cares what it costs if it's not the right fit? And it obviously doesn't help to talk about when they want it implemented if you don't know yet whether they have a problem that you can take care of. So again, I, I bring it back to I, you, I, anyone who's in a leadership position because sales is really just a specialized form of leadership. We are in a position to lead the sales conversation to win-win outcomes. And yes, I'm picking up Stephen Covey's language, win-win or no deal, because any form of lose-win is a lose-lose ultimately. Yeah, and you know, you can get some short-term gains if you do some of those, you know, right. lose-win. You're not going to build long-term success. And you know, your first characteristic is character. We talked about identity purpose. That second one is really creating that connection, who you're talking to, how you're approaching them, how you're opening that conversation. Right. But your third characteristic, and I'd love for you to share more about this, is around clarity, uh, about preparing, about setting expectations. Could you, I think that's an important area that some folks miss. Yes, this is an area that I struggle to convey because it's so foreign to our way of conversing. Everyone can identify with sitting down at a meeting and looking at a meeting agenda, a bullet point of topic areas, the order they're going to be covered in, perhaps the amount of time spent on each one. We don't ever apply that concept verbally in our conversations unless we're taught to. So, and, what do you and mean I, by that exactly? Mm-hmm, yeah, so I'm going to bring it into the sales conversation to show you exactly what I mean. So, John, if you and I were sitting down, you had said, Deb, I'm having some challenges in selling my coaching. I would not start the conversation with, so tell me about those challenges, John. Now, that's the beginning of my qualifying to see exactly what the problem is. But where I would start is by setting expectations. And that sounds like this. John, thanks for getting in touch. I really appreciate it. What I'd like to do in this first conversation is just have a chat about the challenges you're running into, maybe some of the things that you've tried to fix them and also give you a chance to ask me questions about what I do because you probably have questions about what it is that I do, how I do it, and what the costs are, right? Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Great, you should. So I'll ask you some questions, you'll ask me some questions, and at the end of our time together today, together, we will figure out whether it makes sense to continue talking and go to the next step or if there are other alternatives that maybe I can point you towards. 
Does that sound like a good agenda for our meeting? Yeah, because what you're doing there, Deb, if we kind of, you know, step back a, a, a bit, yep. is you're including me and we're kind of co-creating the conversation. Right. Right. And oftentimes I'll say, hey, listen, you're, there's a reason you reached out to me. And, you know, whether we work together or not, at the end of this call, what would make this really good use of your time? All of a sudden, like, oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> this, uh -huh. right? This is something I'm trying to figure out. I'm stuck here. I'm trying to get unstuck. I need some help, right? And my goal is every conversation I have with people, even if they don't end up hiring me or it's even the first conversation, what can I do to add value to them, their life and their world, even if money doesn't exchange hands? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right? And, you know, the other thing, too, I think around this, around preparation and setting expectations. I'll remember when I was working, do you know Kim Avery? I don't. So she's a, a marketing coach for coaches, right? Oh. And I was starting my coaching practice. And I'm like, okay, I think these are the people I want to work with. Mm -hmm. And I think these are the problems I can solve. And my first reaction was just to sit here with a piece of paper and brainstorm what all that looked up like to come up with my coaching and my offerings. And working with Kim, she says, well, you know what? Why don't you just, these people that you think you want to work with, with what you're doing, why don't you go ask them what's going on in their world? So I actually went out, Deb, and I did 10 interviews with CEOs. Nice. And I just reached out to 10 people, five I knew and five were more kind of like casual connections. Uh -huh. I did that kind of purposefully. And I said, hey, could I have 15 or 20 minutes? I told them, I said, hey, I'm stepping into, I'm, I've been coaching people. It's been my leadership style for 30 years, but now I'm going to be doing this as a profession. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not calling you to sell you coaching at all, but could I have 20 minutes of your time to ask you a few questions? And everybody said, yes. Yeah. And I said, hey, when you're just thinking about your company right now, what are the biggest challenges that come to mind? And I got to tell you, people just really started opening up and I heard them in their own language describe what they're struggling with personally, with their team, with their company, how that's affecting them outside of work, their family, what they've tried, what it would mean to solve it. And here's what I found was, as I listened, I took notes for me as a coach, because that's what I was telling. Everybody had three very distinct themes that came up. So I'm like, okay. And each one of these areas was something I would love to work in. Uh -huh. The other thing I found too is when you can understand from the buyer's perspective and be more clear with the language to be able to talk about not only the solution, but what solving that would mean. Yes. They immediately start to see you as an authority or an expert, just like when you walk into the doctor right. and they're asking you all these questions and they come back and say, well, here's what we're going to do. None of us go, well, are you sure? Is that really the right prescription? Is that really the, the right procedure? Like, no, we, the doctor has done all of his stuff and we trust the doctor and they say, well, no, we need to get that appendectomy. Right. 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 Or no, you got something going on with your gut and we need to do this antibiotic and you need to change your diet this way. You're like, okay, I'll go do it. He just sold me a treatment plan. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I think taking that time to really prepare 
And then there's also something you do. And I think some of the most powerful training I've ever done, because I've been in sales for a long time, you know, that one-on-one work, the coaching, the situational work, right? you know, everybody out there, one of the things that Deb does that I love is imagine, you know, hey, if whatever it is you need help on, if we did some situational things, right? Deb really dives in, but now we actually have a chance to actually almost kind of role play it with somebody who really understands some of the elements of doing this well, that in a way that honors God, and you can get some feedback right there. You know, it's really hard, especially anybody that's a small business owner or you have a small sales team, having those opportunities to really almost kind of sharpen the sword from that perspective is hard to find. John, I've been doing sales training for probably over 30 years altogether. And one thing I know about learning, we only learn through repetition and perfect practice makes perfect, not any type of practice. If we're practicing it wrong, (laughs) we are not gonna get there. So it's the most challenging thing that any human being has to face as part of the learning curve is taking what you know in your head and putting it into action, doing it. So it's in the doing that we learn more. We have a chance once we've done to review, to look at, oh, what worked? What went well? What should I keep for the next time? And what didn't work? What do I need to go back to the drawing board? How can I shift? So constantly doing that analysis after executing is so critical to advancing our skills. And John, you know, because you're a coach too, sometimes it takes a third party. It takes someone who's objective, someone outside of yourself that you can run things by or who can listen to you and listen for the things that you don't know that you don't know. So one of the things that I I love about God's plan for my business, yes, I do call God my CEO, and Mm -hmm. I do seek him for what I should be doing. So last year, with all the shift out of in-person work into online work, I sought the Lord and he said, start doing online group coaching. Anybody from any company, any industry, it doesn't matter. Come and we'll review a sales topic, a sales strategy. Then we'll look at your specific usage of that, what it'll sound like in your industry, and then we'll practice. And that way people learn from each other. They get to learn from me and they get a chance to try something for the first time outside of the high risk place of the sales call. Yeah, and you know the power of that too is, I think it's Don, was Don Miller, right? Or Daniel Pink said, you know, a confused mind doesn't buy, right? And if you're actually making the person that could use your product or your service have to really think. I mean, how many of us have been with somebody and we're like, you know, that sounds good, but I didn't really understand it. 
I didn't really right. track, right? Or yeah. guess what? You go like, okay, well, Deb, we could work together. So here's option A, and but here's option B, and here's option C, and here's option D. What sounds best to you? You're like, uh, I'm going to have to think about that. Exactly. But now the thing about a doctor, he goes back and goes, well, here's a couple treatment plans, this, this, and this, but here's the one I recommend. But I also think practicing having that real clarity of what you're offering because think about this, here's something uh, somebody pointed out to me long time ago when I, when I moved from high tech to Wall Street and I was in the world of financial consulting. Uh-huh. And they're like, you know what? My boss said, you know what? Very few people have actually ever bought this kind of financial consulting and advising. So part of our job as salespeople is to educate people on what is the entire process? What are the questions that they should even be asking? Right. And if they're interviewing multiple firms, go in and be a partner with them and educate them. You might not be the right fit because of personality or, you know, offerings, but just say, you know what, when you're doing this, here's the questions I found that are really helpful. So you can make the best decision, like to hire a coach. A lot of people have never hired a coach before. Right. And I'll educate people on, hey, here's the process. This is what it looks like to work with a coach. Here's things that you should be thinking about to make this the most valuable experience of your life. And when we can educate and make, I think, the choice simple, what we're doing is we're just serving somebody and then we can add value in the process. And so my thing is, even if they don't, like there's people that after many sales conversations, so to speak, they didn't hire me. And I stayed in touch and I figured out and one of one of these folks hired another coach and I stayed in touch. How's it going? That's awesome. Hey, any wins to celebrate? Well, two years later, because I had stayed in touch and I was like, oh, well, I guess they didn't like me. This one person I'm thinking of, I actually hired me for one of the biggest engagements I ever had because guess what? I wasn't there to get the sale. I was there to, because I really liked this person, who they were, how they were showing up in the world right. and wanted to stay in relationship and add value along the way. And what happened was they called me and said, you know what? We've kind of gotten to this point. I really think that this would be a great timing and a fit for us to work together now at this point. So it doesn't mean we just go, the, the, my goal is not to close the sale. My goal is to build a relationship, right. add value, and out of that is going to flow naturally. But I also, like when somebody says, well, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to think about it, right? I also want to serve people say, okay, let me ask you a question. There's a reason that you called me. What would not solving this problem mean? Or sometimes they're like, you know, they're all over the place and they're dithering with making a decision. I've had people, yep. Deb, where I've said, well, you know, here's something I'm observing just in our first conversation here. Is you said this is absolutely urgent and now it seems like it's not urgent. What just happened there? Is this something that you do when you're making a decision? And I've had people go, uh, yeah, it's a real problem for me. <laughs> really hard for me to actually even make a decision because I don't want to make the wrong decision. Yeah. And if I can spend some time right there on just coaching them around that. Yes. And even if they don't work with me, guess what? They're going to walk away going, that conversation was different. I really like that. That is somebody I want to at least stay connected with. And then over time, 
what's happened is our business, our coaching practice beyond influence has just grown and grown and grown because it's all about conversations, adding value, developing relationships. It's hanging all about- in there that will really serve that person that's on the other side of the conversation. Right. Because you're putting the person first, not making the sale. Mm-hmm. That's the key. It's what what is the motive? If the motive is to serve the other person, to build relationship, to build trust, to be of service, whether they buy or not, if that is your motivator, then it's just like so many other things in the kingdom. Kingdom rules, kingdom principles are upside down from the world. So in the kingdom, when we serve in that manner, it comes back to us because we have tapped into a spiritual law that says it's out of the abundance of our giving that we will receive. So it's counterintuitive. And the other thing that I'm going to point out, because you've given some very great examples in the way you do things, John, it's so important that we follow up and follow through mm-hmm. with the right motive. So if we drop the relationship after the first contact because they didn't buy we have missed out on so many opportunities. If you check the sales stats, most people don't buy until the seventh or eighth follow-up. Most salespeople, if they do it at all, only follow up once and then they drop. So what's the motive? Am I here to serve? And in so doing, trusting God for the results. When I trust him, he comes through. When I try to manipulate, it goes wrong. I wanted to just mention on page 68 of Sell Like Jesus, I listed some high pressure tactics compared to service motivated selling tactics. Oh, beautiful. So. I'm going to do them one at a time. So if the high pressure is salesperson is making assumptions in the service motivated mode, we seek to understand manipulation versus influencing respectfully, demanding versus offering choices, intimidating versus assisting discounting someone's knowledge and perspective versus affirming what they're saying, Mm -hmm. being suspicious of the buyer's motives versus trusting what they say, being a know-it-all versus being curious, telling versus asking, deciding for someone allowing the other person to decide, only accepting a yes versus a well-qualified no is just as good as a yes. So we're shifting out of convincing mode 
into helping people discover for themselves if it makes sense for us to work together. And the whole time I'm facilitating the buyer's ability to judge me, I'm also judging whether they fit the criteria of my ideal customer. Because I know that some people I'm not well suited to work with. I'll give you an example from my preferences. I only work with people who are highly self-motivated because I don't do reminder calls, reminder emails. Did you do your assignment? Did you listen to your tape? I don't do that. Either you're able to motivate yourself and on rare occasion, if you ask me, Deb, I do want you to prompt me this one time, I'll do that. But I will not get into a codependent relationship where I'm there to make you do what you say you want to do. No. That I'm with not- you. I, I remember I, there was a guy who was in the process of hiring me. He goes, yeah, John, I really want you to be my accountability partner. Yeah, I'm no. Like, really? Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Uh, what would it look like that this was so, so valuable to you, so important, the outcome would be so meaningful to you that you didn't need an accountability partner? Because those are the only kind of people I work with. Because basically, I'm not going to be the accountability partner, right? I actually have men in my life that are in a, a group where we are our accountability partners for things that we're working on. But as a coach, I, I think that you're right. That's a weak role. That's my personal opinion. Some people, you know, I love that. You know, here's something else though, too. When I first got into sales, because I, you know, in the beginning, I wanted to make the sales. So you might say, yeah, I need something that does this. So instead of asking a follow-up question and really listening and be like, oh, well, Deb, guess what? It does that. And it does this. And this. And this. Right. And so, hey, what do you think? I'm like, oh, my goodness. They're like, give me a break. I think that's where, you know, some of the bad things, the sales, that's a bad sales habit. But what if I said, hey, Deb, so you said that this is really important for you. And I know in the back of my head that our, let's say our whatever it is, does that. Hey, what makes that so important? Exactly. What else do you want it to do? Right. And if we could stay in that place of actually asking questions. Exactly. We have to diagnose thoroughly before we prescribe. That's going what gives back, us the permission to prescribe well for somebody. Right, right. Going back to the doctor analogy, he doesn't walk in, ask you one question, and then prescribe. Sometimes he has to run diagnostic tests before he can give any kind of recommendation. So it, it isn't always a one call close, right, John? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sometimes. All right. So the, the book is Sell Like Jesus. It's on Amazon, the seven characteristics in the debbrownsales.com. If you want to connect with Deb, this is something we all need to get better at. Whether you're running a nonprofit and you're casting the vision in the mission to donors or to people that are part of your programs. Honestly, you know, we are all from, you know, uh, selling at some point. So Deb, just as we wrap up, what what final thoughts do you have for everybody? If you are a business owner 
and you have some kind of responsibility for sales. Either it all falls on your shoulders or you work with a small team who does sales and you're uncomfortable with selling. You owe it to yourself to learn how to sell in a way that you can be comfortable with because it will undermine your ultimate ability to succeed. Mm. So great place to start is the book. Get some ideas, put them into action, see how they work, test the theory, talk with others, start talking about this, brainstorm with the people on your team. Just the definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. If you're not fully bought in to sales, you owe it to yourself to investigate, to learn what you can, to be able to be comfortable. And Jesus gave me the title for this book. I want that to be clear. Mm. It wasn't my idea to even write a book. It was not on my radar. He dropped it into my spirit and it literally took me seven years before I got it on the market. And I won't tell you all the reasons why, but a lot of it was my own journey of really becoming solid in the fact that sales is honorable when it's done in an honorable way. And we can do that by applying Christian principles that Jesus is the role model for. Just as he's the consummate leader, he is the consummate salesman. And he's mm-hmm. the one we all need to learn from. Well, thank you, Deb, for coming on. I honestly pray to everybody listening that, you know, if you're in any kind of sales role, that your results this year in 2021 are just phenomenal. That way we can hire more people. We can give away more yes. money. We can yes. store up money for a rainy day in case I have no idea what this year looks like. Right. But there's opportunities and right. God's opening doors and, I love what you're doing. And listen, out there, if you need help and you go like, I'm just not good at this. I don't like this. I wish I was gooder at this. You know, reach out to Deb. Jump on one of her calls. Have an introductory call. Because seriously, like, I think one of the reasons that we have done well is I'm constantly reaching out to people who have expertise and experience in areas that I don't as I'm building, as we're doing what we're doing. So anyway, Deb, I love what you're doing. Uh, Sell Like Jesus, Seven Characteristics of Christ for Ethical Sales. Great book. And go ahead. Yeah, let me make it clear. The first hour is free. No strings attached. Just a conversation. No selling. Really. So don't hesitate. All right. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys connect with Deb. Thank you, Deb. This has been a great conversation. You are awesome. Keep rocking. You too. God bless you.